Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Pro-abortion funding. Members in Congress request information from the U.S. Government Accountability Office over federal abortion funding. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee joins us to discuss their request and the debate over voting rights legislation. Erroneous results. A New York Times study finds errors in prenatal tests. We hear from Dr. Tara Sander Lee, a senior fellow and director of life sciences at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, who tells us all the dangers of these tests and how it may lead to a spike in abortions. March for Life. We take a look at what you can expect from this year's March for Life as it returns to the streets of Washington, D.C. Pro-life speaker and advocate Tony McFadden joins us to discuss her participation in this year's pro-life event. In a letter this week, over 140 members of Congress requested a report on federal funding for abortion. The report should delineate how much money is being spent across the board on abortion for groups such as Planned Parenthood, MSI Reproductive Choices, and additional abortion businesses. The report should also show how many taxpayer dollars are being spent on federally qualified health centers. The goal is to provide data in an open and transparent way as Congress considers funding for the 2022 appropriations package. To talk more about the upcoming letter and voting rights legislation is Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Senator, welcome and thanks for being here. So you, along with over 140 lawmakers, signed a letter this week requesting financial information on abortion providers from the U.S. Government Office of Accountability. Could you tell us why? What role will this request play in the 2022 spending bill? Thank you so much for noticing the letter that we sent. Uh, the reason that we're doing this is to get some specifics about what the Biden administration is doing, how they're allowing these funds to be spent. The pro-life community had so much support during the Trump administration. But of course, as you know, uh, one of the things that we are watching very closely is how the Biden administration allows funds to be used. And what we want to ensure is that no funds are used, no taxpayer dollars are used to fund abortions or are going to these abortion clinics where money is fungible. And you may say, oh, we're going to use this for outreach or we're going to use this for health care. But then we find out later that those funds could have been used for abortion services. Mm. Yes, and it seems that the reason we need this report, you just alluded to this, is that President Biden did away with important pro-life policies when he took office, such as the Protect Life Rule and the Global Protect Life Rule, that kept taxpayer money away from the abortion industry. Is that the case? Well, those are some of the things that are of concern. You know, different priorities is what the Biden administration says they are exercising because they won and they feel that it is their right. What we continue to remind them, there has always been bipartisan agreement that taxpayer dollars would not be used 
to fund abortion. So this will help us to figure out exactly what they are doing with those dollars. What we do know is that the Biden administration has taken money from different uh, departments that was to be used for different things, and they are using that money for other purposes. Of course, we've recently had lots of questions that have come around some of the money that was to be used for COVID testing. And people are saying, hey, wait a minute, but that's not making it into test so that the American people can get tests to know whether they're to go back to work or go back to school. One of the pro-abortion groups named in this letter is Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the country. It's interesting to see the different programs through which they receive federal funds in the U.S., isn't it, Senator? Yes, it is. And we watch this very closely to see where these dollars go. As you mentioned, Planned Parenthood is the biggest provider of abortions in this country. Of course, we've had to watch them very closely. In the recent past, they had entered into agreements with um, some of the third-party vendors and sellers of baby body parts and tissues. And uh, we were very concerned about that. We've been concerned about how they appropriate some of this money for health services, but yet they're not providing the health services. They are having those individuals that are in need of annual checkups, well checks, uh, things of that nature, go to the community health clinic down the street. Mm. So in essence, what they're doing is using that money for other purposes than what the taxpayer would expect them to use those dollars for. Mm. Very insightful. Shifting gears for our last question, President Biden's push for voting rights legislation was effectively stalled last week. Senator Chuck Schumer plans to bring the legislation up for a vote on Tuesday. As of right now, there haven't been any updates, but what are your thoughts on how this is going to play out? What we know is that the, the Democratic Party is intent on passing a voting uh, rights, as they call it, but it's really a federalizing of elections. Mm. Uh, what it would do is strip your state and your local county of their ability to run those elections. In Tennessee, we have fair and free elections. Uh, we do a good job of managing our elections. We don't need the federal government to intervene in that process. Uh, you have 26 different states that have taken up voting legislation this year on how they handle elections. What we have seen the Democrats continue to push for is to federalize the elections, put all the power and control and determination of who wins an election in the hands of the federal government. They're also trying to remove voter ID. Likewise, they're trying to remove signature match. They are trying to institutionalize mail-out ballots to every person on the voter roll, regardless of whether they ask for a mail-out ballot or not. And then they're trying to institutionalize ballot harvesting, which means an individual, a third party, can take your ballot that you received in the mail and you marked, or they can take that ballot and they can mark it in your stead. Mm -hmm. And then 
either choose to turn that ballot in or not. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, thank you so much for joining us. Good to join you. Thank you. A New York Times study finds false positives in prenatal testing have reached an atrociously high rate. The results have the potential to lead to drastic increases in abortions of healthy babies who have been misdiagnosed for conditions such as Down syndrome. The study finds that while these prenatal tests are sometimes successful, they are wildly inaccurate the majority of the time. In addition to testing for Down syndrome, other tests have been created to assess whether or not a baby has extremely rare conditions, such as DeGeorge or Engelman syndromes. Some of these tests have false positive rates as high as 95%. In a recent op-ed published at The Daily Signal, Dr. Tara Sander Lee, an expert in prenatal development, said, the high false positive rate of prenatal genetic screening has profound implications for public health and clinical decision-making. Not only is this a life or death scenario for an unborn child based on the mother's decision to continue the pregnancy or abort, but it also has larger implications for the population, diversity, and values of our society. Joining us now to unpack this more is Dr. Tara Sander Lee herself. She is a senior fellow and director of life sciences at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. In her 20 years of practice in medicine, she has been particularly focused on the causes of pediatric disease. Dr. Lee, so glad you could join us. Thank you so Thanks much so for much. having me. Before we dive into the details, I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that this study was published in the New York Times of all places. Yeah, um, so I was surprised that it was published in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. um, they are definitely creating awareness of a very serious problem, but I wasn't surprised by the information that they were presenting because last year I testified at, in three different states um, on this very, this very issue alone, the fact that there is a high number of false positives among these prenatal screens, and on over a dozen states currently are prohibiting abortion based on discrimination and these prenatal screens. And so I knew going in that there were there is a problem here, um, but there's more to this story as well. But they definitely brought attention to a very serious problem that a lot of these prenatal screens are, are reporting false positives and leading these women to make some incredibly difficult decisions and unfortunately terminating their child because of these results. Mm. You mentioned in your recent op-ed that while the study correctly points out that these tests pose a serious problem, the authors downplayed just how often a false positive for Down syndrome is there. Can you explain that a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yes, these tests, when it comes to Down syndrome, they can they can fairly accurately predict whether women that are at high, high risk of carrying a baby with Down syndrome, they can fairly accurately predict whether that's going to be the case. But where the nuance is, is when you look at women who are at low risk mm. of having a child with Down syndrome. These are women that are usually below, under the age of 35 years of age. And unfortunately, they're targeting a lot of these women for these tests. And so studies, though, are showing that if you look specifically just at women that are at low risk of having a baby with Down syndrome, the probability that the positive test result is actually going to be a true positive is less than 50 percent. Interesting. So that means that that for every two women that actually get a positive result, only one of them are going to actually be a true positive. And sadly, what we know from the studies, they show us that when these women receive a positive prenatal diagnosis, 
that um, they are more likely to terminate their pregnancy. And it's really important to understand that these are screens. These are not diagnostic tests. So they, um, they are not going to tell you definitively if the baby has or is at risk of disease. They're only going to tell you if there's a probability, a chance that the baby is going to have disease. So it's really, it's really dangerous that so many of these companies are coming forward and, and, and making it sound like this is a this is a very true statement when they come up with a positive result. Right, right. And to that point, it's very interesting to me that Silicon Valley tech groups have created many of these new tests, and they're really the ones pushing for them to be used more often. What's their motivation? Do they have the health and well-being of women and children in mind? You know, it's really hard to say um, what actually is going on in their minds. I can tell you just from directing a diagnostic lab myself, there is definitely a money component to this, right? I mean, you definitely, when you, every time you offer that test and that test is run, you will get reimbursed for it and there is money to be made. And so um, the unfortunate thing is that women that are at low risk of even having a baby with these diseases are being pressured to have these tests. Um, when yes, the information might be helpful to them, but we know that it is leading to the direct termination of these pregnancies in a lot of these cases. And mm. so it really, um, there's really a lot of unnecessary testing and screening taking place. So interesting. And finally, when these tests come back positive, it often leads, you've alluded to this, to abortions based on the mere possibility mm -hmm. of a disability diagnosis. What does that say about our society and American medicine today? Um, it's, it's really unfortunate that we have come to the place where um, equality begins inside the womb, right? It doesn't begin once a baby is born. Right. So if we are to the point where just by receiving a result, a screen that is even suggestive that a baby might have a disease and that's leading us to leading many to terminate their child, that is really a modern day form of eugenics. Mm. I mean, we are basically eliminating those children that, that look different than us, that act different, have different, different abilities. We are all created in the image of God. We all deserve to be protected and to be celebrated for our uniquenesses, not to be eliminated because there are some differences. And so it really, um, we really need, it, this was an important time to create awareness so that people are aware that we need to be protecting these babies and celebrating diversity. Absolutely. Dr. Tara Sanderley of the Charlotte Lozier Institute, thank you. Thank you so much. A DC restaurant cancels an event by a pro-life group, citing their pro-abortion stance and atmosphere of a safe space. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Democrats for Life of America booked a busboys and poets in Washington, D.C. for its annual March for Life breakfast. A spokesperson for the restaurant bookstore chain said the company decided to force the group out because they, quote, stand firmly on the belief that women have the right to make their own reproductive health decisions. They also said they refuse to elevate voices they believe violate human rights. Busboys and poets claim they are a safe space for people no matter their beliefs, yet in the same breath, they discriminate against pro-life Americans who believe human rights begin in the womb. This restaurant chain, known for being progressive, would even turn away fellow Democrats who see eye to eye with them on other issues solely due to their pro-life beliefs. It's proof that Democrats in Washington are buying into the lie that women need abortion to succeed. 
during this important week when we remember over 60 million lives that have been killed by abortion since Roe versus Wade, it's a shame that Busboys and Poets is not living up to its pledge of inclusivity, especially for a group that is concerned with protecting the lives of these innocent unborn children. It should make pro-life people think twice about patronizing such businesses. As we prepare to march, we pray that we would all have the courage to take a compassionate stand should we encounter anyone who treats us unjustly, and pray that they too might realize the fight to end abortion is the greatest human rights issue of our day. Coming up, we take a look at the preparations for this year's March for Life. Equality begins in the womb. Plus, Heartbeat International and the Abortion Pill Rescue Network celebrate the miracle of life as they mark a huge pro-life milestone. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The March for Life is back this year in full swing after being virtual last year. Thousands of pro-life Americans are traveling to our nation's capital to take part in the largest pro-life demonstration in the world. Founded by Nellie Gray, the first march took place in 1974, one year after the Roe versus Wade decision mandated abortion on demand through birth in federal law. The United States is just one in a handful of nations with laws this extreme. After nearly 50 years, the Supreme Court justices are taking a second look at Roe versus Wade. Marchers are invigorated as in June, the court could issue a decision that would do away with the viability standards set forth in Roe and free up states to pass common sense limits on abortion. Year after year, pro-life Americans have come to take a stand for life in Washington, D.C., in the rain, snow, wind, and cold. The theme of this year's March for Life is Equality Begins in the Womb. And joining me now via Skype to preview the march is Tony McFadden, a pro-life advocate, speaker, and author of the new book, Redeemed, My Journey After Abortion, which will be published next month. Tony, can I first get your reaction to the theme of this year's March for Life, Equality Begins in the Womb? I love the theme because that is why I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life because I believe everyone deserves life from womb to tomb and life, life should be protected. And so I think this theme sums up everything that the pro-life movement wants and is always voicing that we need to defend our most vulnerable from the womb to the tomb could not agree more. Now, we know that there's a disparate rate of abortions among the black community. As a black pro-life woman, can you speak to how the abortion industry preys upon women such as yourself? This is the most devastating thing to me because um, more than 80% or more of abortion facilities are in low-income and minority areas and they're within walking distance. Planned Parenthood alone kills uh, 360 black babies a day. We are rapidly declining because of abortion. And it is one of the hardest conversations that I have within um, the black community. And it is something that I'm adamant about educating those in those communities that um, we have to stop this black genocide before it's too late. God bless you for your witness. I understand you'll be speaking at the March for Life rally tomorrow. Could you give us a sneak peek into what you'll be sharing about tomorrow and what you're most looking forward to? 
It is an absolute honor that I've been asked to speak at the March for Life. I've been going to this for so many years and have dreamed about speaking there. And um, the Lord has given me a powerful, powerful testimony. And just as you mentioned before of my book, Redeemed, I have been redeemed, although I've had an abortion in my past. And so my speech will talk about that, um, that redemption but also that I needed people like yourself, like those who are marching back when I had my abortion and my child needed the truth of what we're proclaiming now. And I wish I would have heard those voices back then. And so my um, talk will touch on that. And going off of that, as a post-abortive woman, what advice might you give to a young girl facing an unplanned pregnancy right now, based on your experience, Tony? That you do not have to believe the lies. That although it is real to be scared and to feel alone, that um, as women, we are strong enough to give birth to our children, that we can make it, that we don't need to have an abortion in order to fulfill our dreams, that we are able to accomplish so much more, and that that child inside of you is precious and deserves the right to live. And there is beauty that can come out of the unexpected. And so to um, never take the path of feeling like you have to end the life of your child, there are other options, beautiful options of adoption or choosing to parent. And there's so much support out there that I don't believe that a lot of young women or either even older women know that are out there, but this is why the pro-life movement exists. We are the ones that are going to be the helping hand for you to help you through your crisis. Mm. There are so many out there that need to hear your story. We're so excited to hear more on Friday. Tony McFadden, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. The Abortion Pill Rescue Network, managed by Heartbeat International, celebrates over 3,000 lives saved by abortion pill reversal. The Abortion Pill Rescue Network is a pro-life organization helping mothers reverse their chemical abortions. The abortion pill is a two-drug process. The first one is mifepristone. It blocks the progesterone in a pregnant woman's body. Progesterone is meant to help a women's woman's body get ready for pregnancy. Without it, the lining of the uterus breaks down and the pregnancy is unable to continue. The second drug, misoprostol, is taken about a day or two after the first one. This pill is meant to cause an expecting mother to go into labor and deliver her deceased child. If a woman acts quickly enough after taking the first abortion pill, they are in most cases able to save the life of their unborn child. Joining me now to talk more about this milestone for the Abortion Pill Rescue Network is Rebecca Hagen, Mission Advancement Officer at Heartbeat International. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. I want to get started. Why is this milestone important to Heartbeat International and the Abortion Pill Rescue Network? My goodness, Prudence, you know, having reached 3,000 uh, lives saved or over 3,000 is a huge milestone because it means that what we're doing is working. It means that um, even though our ads have been blocked by Google, believe it or not, it means that we are reaching women who deeply regret taking that first abortion pill, mifepristone, and it's working. It's about 68 to 70 percent, excuse me, uh, effective, and we are helping to save um, lives and meet women where they where they're at. Praise God for that. What are the reactions of mothers after they hear that the lives of their babies have been saved thanks to abortion pill reversal? I mean, I know you've heard these stories yourself. 
Yeah, you know, from my own personal experience and from the stories that I've heard, uh, mothers just like me are so grateful. And what I like to call it is it's really a second chance at choice. The first choice, of course, being abortion, but then having a second chance at a very different choice, a choice for life when even the abortion clinics are telling them, and just like they told me, uh, there's no way, there's no way to go back in time. There's no way to reverse this mistake. And sure enough, there is. And so women are just so, so grateful. And that's exactly what they express is gratitude uh, for, the, for the life of their child being saved. Mm. Rebecca, getting a little bit personal, you yourself have experienced the miracle of abortion pill reversal. Could you briefly share your story with us? Yes, absolutely. So back in 2013, I found myself in my second unplanned pregnancy. I had actually had a baby the year before at 17 as a high school senior. This time I was uh, approaching 19 years old. I was a college freshman, had just kind of regained my parents' trust. Things were going well in my life. And another pregnancy meant that at least in my mind, I was going to lose everything. My, my, my parents, um, my college education, we'd be kicked out. And I thought about the baby I already had. And in a moment of panic, and certainly not out of empowerment, but really out of desperation, I chose abortion. And shortly after choosing that, shortly after taking that RU486 abortion pill, I walked to my car. And while still sitting in that abortion clinic parking lot, I thought, oh, oh my gosh, what did I just do? and had a radical change of heart, change of mind, prayed, and found the Abortion Pill Reversal Network. Um, and at the time, we were one of the first callers, one of the first to go through with this, like in the first 10 maybe, and my son was born perfectly healthy, and he is eight, almost nine years old now. What an empowering, beautiful story. And just to close out, what do you say to companies, organizations, and pro-abortion advocates who claim abortion pill reversal is not based on science and does not meet clinical standards? Right. I think that we have to trust women. And if they trust women so much to make the choice to have the abortion, they should be able to trust women enough to make the decision to reverse it. And of course, progesterone has been used for decades. It's been used to sustain pregnancies that have a tendency to miscarry for women who have serial uh, miscarriages. And so we know progesterone is safe um, and it's perfectly safe to be used mm. in this way. Mm. Rebecca Hagen, Mission Advancement Officer for Heartbeat International. Thank you. Absolutely. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.